Hi, this is Deidre, and I'm your host of the Educating While Black podcast, where we discuss community, culture, family, education, spirituality, and growth. Educating While Black pushes the conversation forward about the empowering and education of black communities. Join me as I discuss topics and solutions for the betterment of blackness. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have with me one of my favorite colleagues, Ms. Michelle Ferris. She is an, an educator at heart who's been in the profession for a while and also an entrepreneur. I'm extremely excited to have a conversation with her today about the education and edification of the Black community. So please join me in welcoming Ms. Michelle Ferris today. Ms. Ferris, will you please introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about your, your pathway in education and what it is that you're currently doing in the educational field? Thank you so much, um, Deidre. I'm very happy to be here. I am um, entering in the fall. It will be my 26th year in education. Um, I started off as a teacher aide, and um, I went through being a teacher, a counselor, assistant principal, and now I currently am the Dean of Academics at a, a school in inner city Houston, Texas. Oh, wow. So you have a very, very vast experience in the educational field, and you're also the mother of two girls, so you've been on both sides of education as both a educator and a parent. Um, and I also know that you're an entrepreneur as well, so can you give us um, a little bit about your pathway into entrepreneurship? Give us a, a little bit of information on that before we start getting deep into the Absolutely. Uh, I own Shea by Michelle, and I sell whipped shea butter um, with various scents. I'm really passionate. I've been using shea butter maybe since I was maybe 32 years old, and mm -hmm. that was like 20 years ago. Um, and it was just something I always knew was great for my skin. And, and I just stopped using commercial products. And um, I always wanted to sell it. And one day I just made a decision. I made a leap. I said, hey, I'm going to whip some shea butter. And the rest is history. I've, I've shipped um, probably to all 50 states except Alaska. I've also shipped to Dubai and to Afghanistan. Oh, wow. Come through international players. <laughs> and I'm extremely biased, y'all. It is by far, and I have been to all the African markets. I have been to all the Buy Blacks. I have been to all of the Ragay Bodega Huts. This is hands down the best shea butter I have ever tried. And it is scented well. I don't know. It has this extra emollient in it. You just rub as soon as you rub it in your hands, it melts. It's amazing. So we'll make sure uh, how you can get that as well because you have got to got to try it. I am so excited about it. My whole family is on. We now purchase in sets of four, and I'm not lying. You could you all can see my receipts. We get them four at a time, so everybody can have their own, and there's just no no confusion in the household. But it's wonderful, y'all. Wonderful. I'm so glad to be your supplier. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody knows um, the, the intent of this podcast is really to talk about things that educate and edify and empower the Black community. So I love to talk about all things education um, and all things Blackness. I want you to tell me a little bit, let's start with, tell me about how you feel that your 
responsibility to your community and your identification with your culture, how does it guide the work that you do in education? I think I've always been committed, like since I first got into education, I knew that there was a lack of, you know, black educators, especially when I was when I was coming up and, you know, even being a parent, right. having two daughters, um, I've always noticed the lack of black educators that work with my, you know, that worked with my daughters. They they didn't have any black teachers. For me, um, I just wanted to be able to give back because I was raised in, in the third world community. Um, I had black educators, I had black teachers, and they really left an imprint in my life. Right. You know, these were people who nurtured me, they guided me. I knew that I could go to them. Um, they came to all of our games, they supported us. And, you know, they just did not let us fail. Failure was not an option. And that's the kind of educator that I wanted to be. Right, right. And that makes a difference. That makes a difference. I grew up with with an educator as a mother, a pastor, as a father. Um, but I was also very blessed to have some really amazing teachers that I still remember to this day and keep in touch with. And I think those things have, have molded me into the type of educator that I wanted to be and that I hope you know, that I, that I turned into. So I can definitely honor, honor that. So in regards to where education is, is today, I know that in our conversations, we talk a lot about how community schools don't necessarily look the same way that they looked when we grew up. Tell me a little bit about how you feel that the community aspect plays into the role of a school or the role of a campus. And if that school or campus is going to be successful or not, relatively speaking? I think that just from my experience, um, you know, I went to a community school. I went to Jack Yates High School. I also worked at a community school at Madison High School. And one of the things that I can say is, especially at Madison, since I was an, uh, an adult and an administrator by that time, seeing how important it was for the people in the community to just be involved in what's happening at the school. Right. And you're talking about a strong community. The Hiram Clark community is a very strong community. These are people who are concerned about what's happening inside of that school, even though their children are long gone. Mm -hmm. Their children have long since graduated. And schools, we need to make sure that we are making, you know, creating opportunities for the community to come inside of the school. And also as a school going out into the community and not waiting on people to come in, but going out and doing outreach to make sure that the community knows this is a safe place. We want you here. We want right. your, we want your um, influence. We want your ideas. We want your concern. You know, there was a lady who used to just pick up trash around the school. She didn't have to. But, but she but wanted that's to make sure it looked beautiful and was representing her community well, right. Absolutely. And if you ask her, that's exactly what she would say. These kids deserve to see a nice neighborhood. They deserve yep. to see a clean neighborhood. And um, I just had so much respect for them, you know, not only as elders, but just strong, um, having a strong community presence. So let me ask you this. Um, I know a lot of what looks different now with, with schools and the surrounding neighborhoods 
you'll you'll oftentimes far more often than you you'll see the campus is not necessarily made up of community members so teachers may not live in the community parents you know a significant portion of the students may not be coming from the community so since community looks a lot different now especially in a city of houston that's going through another wave of gentrification what have you seen that works well in still being able to create a community family type of school or making sure that there's a community spirit throughout the campus what have you seen work based upon this new definition of what communities look like now i think what i've witnessed within probably the last year is just the school being there as a resource for the community mm, okay and what i mean by that is there have been times when we've had the houston food bank to come and we've given out food right. to the community um so that the community the people surrounding know hey this is a resource for us um inviting the parents in to the school and people and community leaders into the school to have conversations with the principal to learn more about what's happening with star testing to have roundtable conversations um those are things that i think are very important uh, we had a community day of service where we go out into the community right. we clean up the community we go to the churches we talk to the leaders um just to let them know who we are and what purpose we're serving in their community and I know that that's super powerful. I remember you and I, um, the last couple of months, we worked together at one of the meetings that we had with the nearby churches and their willingness to just do whatever it was that they that we felt would be helpful for the campus. Um, it was just a really awesome reminder that if we ask for, for support and if we ask for assistance, for the most part, the community will definitely do that for us. And from Absolutely. a parent standpoint, what do you think? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Absolutely. Right, right, right. And from a parent standpoint and from raising um, two amazing daughters that I've had the opportunity to meet, tell me from that aspect, what do you think, what have you seen be successful um, as far as how you reach out to the school and how to, how to build an appropriate partnership to, with the school and with the school's teachers to ensure that your child is successful? I think that what I did as a parent and you know, I had an advantage. I'm not going to say I didn't have an advantage because I was an educator, so I right. knew to do this. But day one, I was in the inbox. Hey, mm -hmm. this is who I am. This is how you reach me. This is, you know, however, whatever I need to do, this is what needs to be done. I had a daughter who's, I have a daughter who was a 504 student. Mm -hmm. Before they even got accomodations, I was like, look, this is her accommodation. This, this, this is what's going to happen. Wait on them, right? Yeah, I didn't wait on. So my kids' teachers always knew that I was available, and you know that I was a resource. And I came to every open house. I came to everything that they did. I went to open house um, in 2012, and that was my daughter's senior year. And she was mortified. She was like, "No other 12th grade parents are going to be here." I say, but I will be there. And and if I <laughs> I did the same thing in 2017 when my youngest daughter graduated. Yeah. I was at open house at senior year, and it was just because I wanted to make sure that first of all I had that I took responsibility for my daughter's education just as much as teachers, you know, had to right. be responsible. 
that I had to be a responsive parent, that they had to be able to contact me, that I had to know what was going on. Yeah, that there were no surprises, you know, and I always laugh. My daughter always um, laughs at me. She tells the story. I didn't buy her graduation cake, the, the oldest, until like the Friday before graduation. Oh. Like, because, because she had a 68 in English four. Like, I, is this happening or, or not? You know, it was just like. Right. So, you know, it was one of those. Really yeah. Right now, right. Yeah, like I knew everything. I knew everything about what the grades were and um yeah. so though it was just that involvement piece and i think one of the biggest mistakes that parents can make is assuming that even the remote the most responsible child assuming that they're responsible enough to be as successful as they can be without you as a parent being engaged and involved and that doesn't uh, even have to look like a continuing conversation with teachers every day, but just asking your child the right questions. You know, you mm-hmm. them to pull up the grade. They know how to pull it up. You don't even have to do the work. Just, you know, tell mm-hmm. them to pull it up. So let me see the assignment. Okay, email the teacher yeah. ask them what you need to do in order to do A, B, and C, and CC me on the email. Because that's where I am with my daughter. We have three years left, mm-hmm. and she's in college. So now I need to know that she can navigate without me, but I need to also teach her how to navigate. So just now, like with this online learning, she got like a 77 on some very random, very vague assignment. So she messaged the teacher. We haven't heard anything back. So I said, well, email the teacher and CC me on the email and ask her A, B, C, D. But we have to yeah. teach our children how to, how to you know, move through those things. But until they know and we're sure that they're getting things done, we need to still hover. We need to still ask questions, especially mm-hmm. until the outcomes look the way we want them to look. Yeah. And, you know, as parents, we have to stop saying, how was your day? And they say, fine. And you move on and cook dinner. Yeah, that's, See, that's, that's when you, that's when you lose because you don't know what's actually happened because any kid is going to come home and say, oh, everything is perfect. Everything's fine. Especially and then the they don't want to talk to us. I get on. Yeah. My <laughs> oh, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it is okay. Because you're going to still come yeah. to me when you need something. Because I'm sure Absolutely. that I can help you navigate that process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, something else I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to talk about, because you and I got a chance to spend a good amount of time prioritizing it as educators, is culturally aligned curriculum and making sure that we're empowering students to feel that they can accomplish certain things. So... Just kind of tell me overall how you feel that cultural identity plays into student achievement in schools today. I think it's so important because one of the things that I learned, and I went to an HBCU, I, I graduated from Prairie View a and University, and that's where I learned about me, yeah. was at Prairie View. That's where I learned about the depths of who I am as a Black woman and i think that we need to start that journey a lot earlier and so it's so important that one black children learn about who they are learn about their community and what their responsibility to their community is that needs we need to start grooming them Mm -hmm. from day one and that has been so important to me and the school that i'm at now um you know, I see babies coming through with cornrows and dreadlocks and 
Isn't black. it gorgeous? I black. love it. Just, just, just black. black. Just, just black. black. Like I tell people, one of my favorite things is the first day of school with the little Ooh. babies because everybody's coming in, their face is shiny, they got the little knockers in their head. Yes. From head <laughs> to toe. I love it. I, just I really black. And you mentioned yes. things there. You said, you know, the discovery of self and then community responsibility. And mm -hmm. with culture, both of those things are equally as important. Um, but I think the first has to come for them to understand the second so much. So let's start yeah. with that self-discovery piece and just knowing and learning about who you are and whose you are and what you've come from. Tell me about how you've seen that be, be done well in schools. I think that um, just starting with the literature, just the literacy piece, mm -hmm. you know, introducing them to Black authors, to Black literature, to Black books. Um, I was in an interview and somebody mentioned about uh, when we were in school, Dick and Jane, they were Ooh. two white kids and that's all you saw. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, you know, just that piece is so relevant is mm -hmm. to put um, text in front of our children that has something to do with them and their culture. Yeah. And, and I think and it I, starts with literacy. You and I have had the opportunity to really see how when a child gets to read a story with a, a kid that looks like him on the front, or if they're having mm -hmm. to, they're getting an opportunity to watch a movie and discuss in history with a, you know, with a movie that, that reveres their culture and makes them feel good. You and I have both seen specifically how that, that equates to student achievement. Um, but people that are not educators may not understand how, how tightly aligned that is, how if a student is engaged in learning that is, that is specific to their culture and shows them mm -hmm. how high or how successful or how much potential that they have, how it makes mm -hmm. them try harder. So just tell our, our listeners a little bit about that from a point of view, if they're not in the classroom, to understand how important it is to one, advocate for that, and to provide that for their kids if it's not happening in their school. Absolutely. One of the uh, most fun parts of the school I work at is Black History. Um, the Black History program and, and, and the week leading up to Black History where our kids get exposed to um, just an enormous amount of successful Black people. Yes. Not all famous successful Black exactly. people, but just people who are in their community that have, um, you know, it's just really important that as a Black child, that they are exposed to um, success that looks like them. Yep. And if your child goes to a school, like my children went to schools where um, they were not exposed to that. So it was my job as a parent to sit down with them and talk to them about who they were and why their culture was relevant and introduce them to novels, uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X and, and just different novels to help them to understand who they were. Right. Um, you know, I think about when my daughter was 12, and um, this was before Colin Kaepernick ever took a knee. She held the Black Fist sign up during the Pledge of Allegiance. Hey. And <laughs> the teacher called me and was mortified. 
Oh, like, I bet so, baby. <laughs> she was like, she was like, I don't know what, why Deanne did that. I said, well, you know, here's the thing. Um, so this is what we learning about. <laughs> I love that. Those are the conversations I love. <laughs> and it was so funny because this was the time I was working on a documentary for the Black Panthers. And what mm-hmm. she was doing is she was sitting behind me looking over my shoulder as I yep. edit video and stuff. And she was looking at these women and these, you know, yes, I looking at all this it. stuff. And she was like, oh, okay. Uh. I <laughs> so, love it. And you know, one of the things, especially with our history, that's so important, um, parents should be very mindful of reviewing the literature that their children are engaged in at school, because a lot of times you have to do some, um, some perspective, some making sure that you're providing an appropriate perspective on the information that they're receiving. So one of the things that I do with both of my daughters, especially with history, is I stay right in tune with what it is that they're learning at school so I can make mm-hmm. sure that I, that I give them the appropriate foundation for mm-hmm. what we know is the truth. And I give them enough to equip them with feeling confident to have those conversations in class if necessary. Um, so I definitely encourage parents to, you know, in addition to reading literature to where Black, black children are centered and Black faces are centered, there's no... Any time that you have an opportunity to talk to your children about the history of Black people, both here mm-hmm. in, the, in the United States and on the continent, you've got to mm-hmm. do it because they're not. Yeah, you've got to do it. They're you've got to do it. And yeah. I used to, you know, and my kids, they laugh at me because they, I told them what happened with the pilgrims and the Mayflower and I, and they tease me to this day <laughs> about, you know, me teaching them the real thing about what, what happened. And, you know, they went to school and told their teachers and it was just like, oh my God. But that's just an example of what they need to know. They need to know the truth. They've got like to. they need to know what happened. And, to. um, I was very, very adamant about them knowing what was happening. And I'm still that way, you know, to this day, just keeping it real. Yeah. And I I definitely applaud you for that. And you can see it in the confidence that your, you know, that your daughters carry around with them today. And we also mentioned with, you know, with curriculum and with schooling, that it's important to teach community responsibility. So before we, before we close out today, let's, let's touch a little bit on that. You mentioned the community days of service and some other things, but what do you think, where do you think schools can, can do some good in making sure that we're teaching children about the collective and about community responsibility? Um, I think that we need to be an example for our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, if you live in a community, um, and I'm just going to give you an example of the community that I work in and that I was raised a part of, um, be an example for, for your kids. Take care of your community. Be involved in the community. Care about what's going on in the community. Um, the community that I'm in right now is very, very gentrified. Um, yeah. You know, if I could give anybody any advice, you know, don't sell your grandmama house. Fix it up. You know, let it make money for you. Right. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about one-time check for $50,000. I'm talking about let it be a source of income for you consistently. You know, something consistently. And um, always be 
available to help you know your elders in the community because you have people that's been in community 40 or 50 years we have to protect those people um that are, that's in our community and then as this middle generation you know people your age and my age we have to set an example for for the students and you know everybody coming up behind us to really look out for your people and i think that's just that's just it for me just looking out for your people i'm rooting for everybody black Right. And I, you've mentioned several times that Third Ward is a community that is near and dear to you. Um, I am, I'm a Houston Cougar. I graduated from the University of Houston. So Third Ward was my introduction to the city. And so I am from Longview, Texas, but I say often Third Ward raised me. I had a great time in the Third Ward streets. So um, part of what we do in this, in this podcast is also talk a little bit about culture. So I think let's keep this conversation in third ward um, as we as we transition to the cultural piece of, of, of our interview. Let's talk about what would be your number one food spot that someone should go to if they are in the third ward street. Oh, my God. You got to go up on Blodgett and this is it. You got to go. It. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is it. You got to go get you some soul food from this is it. It's right there. You know, on Blodgett. Yeah. Uh, no, you just, you got to roll up on this is it when you feel like eating bad. <laughs> right. Okay. Now, Third Ward also has, you know, some very, very, very clutch for the culture um, night spots or, you know, places that you can have a good little beverage or two at. What would be your, your, your go-to night spot or bar or kick it spot in, in Third Ward? I'm definitely going to have to go with the Black-owned homie, Dreams. Mm -hmm. um, it's owned by my friend, Flexi okay. Galloway. Now, that's um, listen, classic. That's the spot, man. That's where I had my birthday party. Um, it's just one of those things where you roll up, you can sit out on the patio, you can smoke a cigar, mm -hmm. you can go inside, you can have a drink. Um, this young man is from the community. He graduated from Yates High School. He's a very successful club owner right there in, in the community. Beautiful. I, it has been a second since I've gone to Dreams. I may need to roll through once the, you know, once we once we free again. Yeah. <laughs> once we free again. Uh, this is a Corona recording, just so everyone knows. <laughs> this is a Corona recording. <laughs> this <is> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then my last question for you, this one may take you a second to ponder. Tell me a song that you feel appropriately represents Third Ward, Texas. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I was in the club one night. What's one that night, night? That's when I saw some <laughs> She looked kind of broke Great one. Great. <laughs> Listen, Tops Drop is something that invited me to Houston, Texas also. So I'm very, very impartial um, to that, that particular album. That's a great show. Yeah, great yeah that's, that's definitely, I think that's Big Mo. Um, he graduated from Yates High School. So, you know, yeah, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you now I said that was the last question but I lied because I have to bring it back to education real real quick if there's okay. a cultural spot that you think would be a great place for either a parent or even an educator to take their children or their students to 
tell me a cultural spot in um in third ward texas that you think would be a, a great go-to i think definitely the buffalo soldier museum right there on caroline um it has a lot of history in that um in that museum they also do the black market over there on the first fridays when we free again on the first friday yes. uh, full of uh <laughs> black culture black stuff black clothes shea butter you name it it's just uh dedicated to the black culture so that's one thing that they do on that first friday and then just normally it's the buffalo soldier museum which um carries a lot of history about you know um, our soldiers, our black yeah. soldiers. That's a really, really great recommendation also. So Third Ward, Third Ward has, has, has done me well. I'm, I love every single person in the SUC. I love, love This Is It. I also love Frenchies. There's so many good food places. The Buffalo Soldiers yeah. Museum, um, Project Row House is in Third Ward. Um, so you can really spend a whole weekend just in Third Ward, Texas, teaching your children about blackness. Um, and I think it's a great represent representation of Black Houston um, also. So you, you, you represent Third Ward well, definitely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and as we close out, like I told our listeners on the very front end of, the, of, of our interview, you are uh, an entrepreneur. You have several other projects going on as well. So can you let our listeners know um, what's coming up for you in the near future. What can we be on the lookout for? And also, how can we follow you? How can we find you if we want to if we want to reach out to you or follow up about anything? Well, you definitely can get some shea butter at uh, www.sheabutterboss.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Shea by Michelle um, to get some shea butter. Also, I'm currently working on a podcast. It's called Dope Ass People, where I interview people about the, their journey, just successful people, people on the road to success to drop a couple of major keys to people coming up behind them. And we just talk about, you know, some of the, the, the bruises and obstacles that they navigated to get to where they are, to where they are. And so more information about that podcast will be coming up you know, pretty soon. It drops in June. So I'm Drop really, really plug, Michelle. Yes, podcast. <laughs> I'm I'm excited. <laughs> I cannot wait. And like she said, it will be here in June. Y'all heard that it's on record. It will be here in June, Corona or not, y'all. Corona or not, I cannot <laughs> wait. And you have a uh, you have a background in radio and film that you don't really talk about often, but you kind of dropped a I little don't. dropped a little stunt. You know, when I was doing my Black Panther documentary, <laughs> a little bit about your, your media background <laughs> before we go. So I uh, actually I have a bachelor's degree in uh, radio and television and I you know that that was my starting point and I, I feel like I'm kind of you know going back to that it's like a 360 and I also was a, I am a documentary filmmaker my first film was about hair and um, it aired on BET for two years. And I was just, it was called New Growth, The Natural Progression. And I, I just really love being, I've always been an educator, first of all, but also mm -hmm. stay connected with, you know, um, entertainment. I, I interned at the Arsenio Hall show uh, in 1992. I was standing on the side of the stage when Bill Clinton was playing the, the saxophone. So I've been very indoctrinated into the entertainment um, part and I've always tried to keep a foot 
in the door right. and um you know so it, it's it's my passion just being able to to do that and the documentary um with the black panthers was something that i embarked upon in 2008 when we were doing um a documentary about carl hampton who was a black panther in the third war community and we did not get to finish that project but it was so eye-opening and i enjoyed so much uh working with them it was awesome and i think you were actually the person who told me a little bit more information about that story that i, I never knew about we'll have to talk about that um when when, when i have you back y'all michelle is just an amazing person i could talk to her all day uh, she contributes so much to her community that we didn't even get an opportunity to talk about on this episode, but I will definitely have her back after her podcast premieres uh, so she can give us an update on that. And of course, we'll chop it up about some more things Black and educational. So again, Michelle, I'm so grateful that you, you gave me um, a little bit of your time and your space um, so that our listeners could hear how much of an amazing person that you are. Anything um, to close us out before we say goodbye today? No, um, Deidre, I just want to thank you for being an amazing um, advocate for our people. I, I really, really um, thank you're an amazing person, and I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us for another episode.